Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am completely delighted today that I get to sit down with someone who is going to give us some both personal but deeply professional advice about a part of the grief and loss and death and dying process that is pretty much inevitable and incredibly complicated and something that most of us need support with. Janine Bryant, thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Megan. So let's tell people a little bit about what you do. We already teased it, but I'm so excited to talk to you because you have both an educational platform and a business Mm -hmm. that deals with helping people and navigate all the stuff that is left over after someone dies. So it's changing spaces. You're the owner of that company. And also you have easy right sizing, which is an educational platform that I spend some time on looking at all the forms and all the things. Gosh, you give us a whole lot for free. It really gets us started. Yes. Thank you. So yeah, I own a senior move management company in Lincoln, Nebraska. So that's changing spaces. And what that means is that we help seniors who are leaving a home they've been in for decades and they're downsizing to lots of times it's a retirement community. And so they have to go through this process of figuring out what are we going to keep and what are we not going to keep? And Mm -hmm. so our team comes in and we help them sort, we do the packing, we do the unpacking, we get them settled in their new place. And then we're also estate liquidators. And so we run estate sales and online auctions to sell whatever they did not bring with them. And through that company, Changing Spaces, we also work with families who have recently had a loss. And so someone in their family has passed away and they need to empty out a house. And so then we run estate sales for them as well. And then, yeah, my educational platform, Easy Sizing, is my attempt to reach people outside the Lincoln, Nebraska area with this content and this education, because I really am so passionate about it. That word is overused, but... I feel very called to this line of work. I am a natural organizer. I love working with seniors. And I have published a couple books through Amazon about the downsizing and right-sizing process. And also, I tackled this issue that I see all the time is the topic of keepsake clutter and this like guilt, the guilt associated with all this boxes of stuff you kept from your mom's house when she passed away and it weighs heavily on you and you feel like you can't get rid of it and all of that kind of stuff. So that's my easy right sizing platform is an attempt to reach people wherever they are on this journey. Oh God, I can't wait to dig into this there. So I have a memoir coming out pretty soon and- The last chapters that actually are not in the book, because we just decided to end the story sooner, were all about my experience of cleaning out my parents' home of 35 years and what it felt like to, the metaphor that I use that I think is, was really true to me was like striking the set. It was like all these artifacts here, the lamps and the jewelry boxes and the plates and the chairs and the carpets were just a backdrop of how a life was lived for these two humans. And what was so interesting for me was I really genuinely didn't want it and none of my siblings did. So I can't wait to hear about maybe even your psychological take on it because I know that it's so complicated for families and the more people you add, the more Um, complications there are, but I really felt grateful that most of what existed inside my mom's house Mm -hmm. were things that were true to her, but not 
true to me and maybe not valuable. So not something to argue about with other people. Mostly what I felt grateful for was that I had time to go through everything, right? That the time being able to be with the thing, because I just feel like I'm going to learn so much. I want to ask you the question I ask everybody, which is what brings you into the world of grief and loss? How did you come into this being your place of passion? I always start by telling my story and and I say with a whole bunch of love in my heart that I grew up surrounded by old people. And to me, old people is not a derogatory term. I was surrounded by love. Um, We grew, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota, a mile from one set of grandparents and a mile and a half from the other set of grandparents. And so these folks were very much in my life. And all four of my grandparents died within um, the span of two years. And so not only did I experience the loss of four grandparents that were at our home for all the holidays and just a regular part of our lives, but I also got to witness my parents going through uh, the loss of their parents and cleaning out those houses. Um, My mom was an only child, so she had to do that on her own. My dad has one sister who lived in another state and and my, his parents were, um, lived on the farm where my dad had his farming operation. And so just watching them go through that, it took each of them probably about two years to get those places emptied out. And then on the farm, you have this house that sits empty and it's, um, attached to your farmyard. And so you're not necessarily going to sell it. And so now to this day, we call them hired men. I guess they're in farm employees live in my grandparents' houses. And so that's interesting. That's an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah. And then in that span of two years, I had a a close, very close great uncle who also passed away. So there were five deaths there when I was between the ages of 10 and 12. And then in 2005, my mother passed away from stage four colon cancer. She was 57 and I was 24. Mm -hmm. And that really was the formative moment of my life. That's when I always say the sky fell. That's how devastating it was for our family. And I said earlier that I feel specially called to this line of work, and I really do because the loss of my mother was absolutely devastating, but I've been around, and I don't know, even just growing up on the farm, you're around death a lot. And I really, and I grew up going to church, I'm a Christian, and I really accept that death is a part of life. It's a natural part of life. And it doesn't freak me out like it does. I know a lot of people and justifiably. And so I feel comfortable around death and I feel so blessed that I get to walk along alongside my clients as they're going through that. Because um, even the folks that we're moving, if we're moving um, a senior out of a home into a retirement community, a lot of times those are folks who have recently lost a spouse. And I watched my dad walk through that at, and he was in his late fifties when that happened, but Grief, I don't know. It's grief is so painful, but it's also very beautiful, I think. So I really feel honored that I get to work in that space. Yeah. I get that. I I understand exactly what you're talking about, which is I get I get that we're thinking about death and change and the end of life when you're working with seniors Mm -hmm. um all day long. But I also think there is something sacred about I don't know. I was, I went after my mom died. I, I felt it was like really important to me to touch everything. 
I can't really explain that except that I just felt like her atoms are in all this stuff. Like, how do I get it back into me? And I think about it a little bit like with the things as like a different kind of laying on of hands, the traditions and lots of cultures of shrouding a body and dressing a body at the end of life. But also I think that, that in the best case scenario, the artifacts that are left behind, not in a Marie Kondo way of does it bring me joy, but just acknowledging that this was part of their lives. And I don't mean, cause it's all precious. My mother had oh. 24 rolls of wrapping paper. Yep. I was like, what the hell am I going to do? <laughs> rolls of wrapping paper. Why'd you keep buying wrapping paper? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what makes these processes go well in terms of your experience and maybe, or maybe if it's more compelling, what makes it not go well? Is mm-hmm. it all unique or are there any things that you feel like are generalizable? Mm-hmm. I do think it's unique because so much depends on your relationship to the person who passed away, right? If it was fraught or if it was very close. Also, the nature of the death, too. I have to tell you, Megan, this is the universe has brought us together at the right time. This morning, I was with my husband and his 90-year-old mother who is on hospice, and we are expecting her to pass away any day now. And that is a different kind of death than a mother dying at 57, where the whole community is talking about what a tragedy it is. So every kind of death is very unique and your relationship to, and the family relationship is very unique. And so I don't think there are, there are best practices, but they all need to be tweaked to whatever um, the family needs at the time. Some, and what I have learned um, is that some people react to it differently. Some people want to get all that stuff out of the house immediately. I have a friend whose mother passed away. Yeah. And her dad cleaned out those closets right away. Yeah. I know other people who have not been able to touch those closets for two years. And like you said, they're feeling like their atoms are on their stuff. I think clothing is one of the most powerful things because it feels so personal. It smells like them for quite a while. I still have one of the things I still have from my mother is a cardigan sweater, white cardigan sweater hangs in my closet. And because for a long time, it smelled like her and it doesn't smell like her anymore, but I still have it there. I remember when my mom passed away, her handwriting, anything we could find that had her handwriting on it became precious, a grocery list, or we just wanted to keep those things. They felt so personal. I still have a pair of her leather gloves and a pair of shoes of hers that I still wear. And it's cool. It makes me think of her. But I think that's also why sometimes people feel bogged down by the stuff because it does feel so personal and you feel like, okay, I've lost this person. Now, am I just throwing out the memories, throwing out the relationship as I'm throwing out the stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of times my advice is to not rush it if you can, if that's an option. And sometimes financially it's not because if they're in a living situation where they're paying rent, you are going to have to pay rent until that apartment is empty or that house is empty. And then depending on if um, the estate, you need to sell the house for the money, um, then you do have to empty it out. But if it's possible to wait a few months, yeah, I think that's best just because I always tell families that I'm working with, I would hate for you to look back a couple months from now and regret yeah. getting rid of something that you wanted to keep. And so they say, when you lose a spouse anyway, everyone always told my dad, don't do anything for a year. Yeah. And some people can do that and some people can't. But then I think there is a fine line because after 
a year. Now when one year turns into two years now, and I write about this and keep the memories, not the stuff. It's at first, it's a comfort to be around their items, but after a while, and you're not really sure when that tipping point is after a while, it becomes a burden. Yeah. Right? Five years later, if you were to go into that house and it looked exactly the same, it would not bring you comfort. It would drag you down and you would think, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And so it's finding that line and it is, it's a blessing to have a bunch of siblings to help you through it, but it can also be a curse too, right? Because then there's more people making decisions, but if you're an only child, then you feel like the whole burden's on you. So it's multi-layered. And I think that's what makes it so interesting. You hit on a couple of things in there that I just, I wanted to touch on because I hear about them all the time. You talked about your mom's shoes and gloves. There is something so intimate about shoes because they get broken in and molded in by a person who was wearing them in their life. Clothes take their own shape back on a hanger or in a drawer, but there's something about a shoe and a belt. Yeah, something about those. So I hear a lot about that. I know lots of people that saved one pair of shoes. And I get, I get that. I, after my dad died, I had assumed my mom had gotten rid of his things. And of course she hadn't, he had died two years before. And I opened a closet and all his shoes were in there. And I was like, oh my God, I can't with this. I can't, but I agree with you. And I think it's, I think you're talking about something really important energetically, which is that if it's too hard to attend to the things now, you can trust that as wisdom that there's wisdom that like it's beyond the threshold of what you can do but what you what you do which is impossible to understand in the like first couple of weeks of grief is that you grow the capacity to do more at, yeah. every day because you have and to so, yeah because you have to mm-hmm. and so when people say stupid things to a parent who's lost a child oh i could never survive it guess what they could never survive it either They just are. They're growing the capacity to do it because they have to, right? Like somebody who was forced to, I don't know, walk a hundred miles, like they couldn't do it either, but they become a person who can. And I think with the stuff, I say it to people all the time because it's such a thing as they have a box of their grandfather's stuff and they can't go through it. Okay. What can you do with it? Mm -hmm. Can you, I had a client who like got a box of stuff and her doorman kept saying, you need to come pick up this box. And she was like, I can't. Mm. And I said, what can you do? Can you tip the doorman? He clearly can like, can you just say, I'll get it when I can get it and just give him some money so that he keeps it there. Can you somebody else take it to their apartment? Can Mm -hmm. you, and just in the question, like in the trusting the wisdom that you can't, Mm -hmm. when that's possible, you begin to see, it's not that I can't forever. It's not that I can't do anything. Yep. It's that I can't donate all my mom's clothes right now. Yeah. And so sometimes it's a lot of times the first thing that people do is I got to go clean out the fridge, right? Because that's going to start stinking. That's real. So great. You can go (laughs) clean out the fridge and that is fine. And then maybe we move on to the bathroom or you just do the easy stuff first. And for me, as I was going through my mom's things, I realized for me, it was part of the grieving process. Oh. I felt like I was getting to know her uh, on a, a little more. And I felt like I was tying up her loose ends. My dear mother, I love her, but 
the woman never quite got organized in her life. And she was always trying to get organized. And that's probably why I have an organizing company. I'm probably perpetually <laughs> trying to organize my mom's what a, house. What but, a testimony to exactly. your love of her. But I just feel like, I felt like I was tying up her loose ends. Yeah. We even had a bathroom in our basement that she was always going to paint. And she, she'd even bought the paint and everything. And she never got it done. And I painted that bathroom. And my dad was like, what are you doing? But I thought this, my mom wanted, she wanted this done. And um, yeah. that is, a, it can be for some people, part of the grieving process and tying up those loose ends. And if you can't do it, that's where companies like us exist, right? And you can you can hire someone to do it. And when we work with a client, we always say, we will come in after you and the family have all decided what you want to keep and have removed what you want to keep. Mm -hmm. Because I want people, you can't keep everything, but I want you to keep the best and let go of the rest. And so go through and identify those things you want to keep, get them out. And then we will come in and we'll deal with everything that's left. Mm -hmm. We'll take out trash. We'll take stuff to donation. We'll sell what's sellable. And so you can hire someone else to do that if you want, if it's not a project you feel like you can take on. It's such a concrete form of help. One of the things that I talk to grievers about is what kind of help can you ask for and you know who can help you with these things and, and when i was doing my mom's clothes my mom's clothes were all they were all basically from the same company she was tiny just 5 feet i'm 58 Oh, wow. And she weighed about a hundred pounds. She was just a, a slip of a human. And all of her clothes were from Eileen Fisher and she oh, cute. Those clothes and, cute. and they were expensive and they were beautiful yeah. and I couldn't bear it. And I close, I cleaned out my mom's house during COVID on my own because it was before vaccine. So even though I had five brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. it was, I'm not sure everybody was happy. That's the way it came down, but I, I felt I had to. And I couldn't bear her clothes. And so every day, as soon as the sun rose, I would call my best friend. And for a couple of hours, she would talk to me about nothing while I folded my mother's clothes and put them in a donation box. So I almost don't remember doing it, but it was a process. Mm -hmm. And when I think about coaching people, it's like, what can you ask someone to do? I couldn't ask someone. I literally couldn't ask anyone to come in and, and help me. Right. But it was like a tether and a line mm-hmm. to say, okay, just talk to me. Tell me some ridiculous story. Tell me the plot of the Real Housewives while right. I have to do this thing that was so hard. And I wanted to be distracted from. Yep. Because you feel when you're going through that, I, there's something so isolating about grief mm-hmm. and you feel like you are the only one going, you are, you feel like you're the only one in the world going to clean out your dead mother's closet that day. Right. And to have that line to your friend, I know my college roommate came to stay with me at my dad's house after my mom died. And I just said to her just recently when I saw her, I said, I'll never forget that. That was, that bonded us forever. Just to have someone who just stayed there and helped, didn't help talk to me. It's so meaningful. I think it's interesting to, to think about gender when it comes to cleaning out stuff, because it is it is the kind of work that so often falls onto the women in the family. Yeah. And if there are daughters, it falls to the daughters. If there are no daughters, a lot of times it's the daughter-in-laws mm-hmm. who end up doing it. That's so and we just, we kind of giggle about it and my business, but we just see it. We see it all the time. And it is, I think the sons especially are so grateful to us 
and our services because they would walk into a closet filled with Eileen Fisher clothes and have no idea, first of all, their value, or they would just don't not know what to do. And when we can come in and we can give them options, hey, there's a consignment store that we can certainly take these items to. And we can go through mom's underwear drawer and mom's bras and toss them where they might feel weird about doing that. I think well, that's- that, that is the gift. So we did what you're describing, which is went through lots of bits and pieces. And my older brother was the executor. And so he said, I'm just going to hire a company. And all I kept saying to him was, there's a part of a job here that I don't know that a company can do. They could do it. They will do it. But I don't know that it's the way that it's for our family is best. Mostly because my mom collected a lot of things. She collected Irish lace. She collected little figurines. She collected dishes. She collected tablecloths. And she would have cared about where those things went in a way that no way my brother could have done it. Actually, I was not the best for it either. Either of my sisters would have been able to say, this is an expensive linen. This isn't. I did the best that I could. We were lucky to be able to donate a lot of things to a church charity shop that she worked at who would do the second round. And then all the other things, all the millions of vases that she had and lamps that nobody wanted and things that she bought at TJ Maxx that were functional, but didn't, wasn't going to fit in someone else's house that then we had a company like yours come in and say, we're going to get rid of this and you guys don't need to know anything about it. I never knew really what, I knew there was a sale at our house that people could come through. And so I think probably some of our things are in neighbor's houses, but all I know is it was gone. And that was a relief, right? Like a huge relief. And you did it just right, Megan. You guys went through, that's what I talk about. Keep the best. You knew the things that meant the most to your mom and you thought, okay, I'm going to make her proud or I'm going to do what she wanted me to do and go through these important things because maybe you, I could identify those important things in a way that your brothers maybe couldn't. They're like, I don't know what all this stuff is, because you talked about it with her. Yeah. Yeah. And it may have been gendered, right? Because it was Mm -hmm. table linens. But I also just think a part of it was the relationship that we had with my mom. Mm -hmm. She talked about those kinds of things. But now if it had been your dad and your dad restored Chevrolets, right? And maybe you would look at, open up the the barn and look at all this stuff and think, I don't know. And then maybe your brothers would have been like, oh no, we got to do something special with this thing. And so it just depends so much on the relationship and the person. We did. You're just making me think of this. I hadn't thought about it at all. So there was paperwork that about anything that was of value, which there wasn't a lot of stuff that intrinsically was of value, but my dad had been given a couple of gifts in his business life. And one of them was a crystal ball, a ball, an actual crystal ball that had an etching on it by an artist. And it, I don't know what it cost, but it was of value. It was listed amongst the things that was, and we could not find this thing. No one had ever seen it before. We were like, what, a crystal ball? Like someone looks into a crystal ball and is <laughs> could not find Aww. this thing. And it was my brother when he was getting, my brother and my husband, when they were going through my dad's things, there was like a heavy shoebox, pulled out the shoebox and here in the shoebox in the corner is this crystal ball. And it just became this hysterical. Nobody wants this thing. Is anyone going to actually buy it? Is it intrinsically value? valuable, but it was a weird sort of, as we're in the process of taking everything down and pulling everything apart, there was almost like this comical, what does this crystal ball thing mean? Are we ever going to find it? 
Is it? Yes. It, it, it really was. It was funny to everyone. Yeah. And it's cool that you guys found something like that, because I always say to families, grown kids who are going through this, if they're handling it well, I say, boy, your parents are looking down on you right now. And they're so proud of how you're handling this. I keep my mouth shut when it's the, the adult children are fighting with each other. And I don't say that your parents are disappointed in you, but what a beautiful legacy that they can leave behind that these, all the siblings are working together like your parents would have wanted you to. Just like when you're kids, if you're fighting, your parents would have been in the other room saying, stop it. (laughs) I did spend a lot of time walking around the house being like, I'm really sorry, mom. Nobody wants these crystal glasses. No one was ever going to want these crystal glasses. I know that like you brought them from Ireland and they're like an heirloom, but we just, no one wants them. It's just not practical. So I did feel bad about that because had she, I I do think her intention was to give some things away in her living life. She didn't know she was dying and she would have made somebody take those crystal glasses, right? Like she would have made her, I have some things where I'm like, mama made me take this. I want to ask about when it's hard. What do you see that makes it hard? Because I think anybody going into these situations would say, I want to do this easy and well and with love. Mm -hmm. And I also have known friends and family who are like, it is going to be a shit show when and if this happens. Mm -hmm. So do you have any sense looking at the work? What makes it hard for people? What makes the process difficult? Is there anything, again, generalizable about that? I think that the first thing that makes it hard is a mindset. And that mindset is when you equate things to memories and you think the memories are in the things and you think that the the things that you keep are tied to how much you loved that person or how much you missed that person or how much you will remember that person. And that is not true, right? Mm -hmm. If you, I give presentations a lot and I ask folks to think of a loved one they've lost. We've all lost loved ones. And if you had two boxes of their things, now let's multiply that by 10. And let's say you have 20 boxes of their possessions. Would you remember them any better? No. You would not. And so it doesn't. And would that mean if you had 20 boxes of their things, would that mean that you loved that person more? No, of course not. And I really try to help encourage people to internalize this idea that love and stuff and memories are three separate things. They are not the same. And Mm -hmm. that if we get rid of the thing, we're not going to forget. And I'm not saying you have to get rid of everything. I want you to keep the best. Yeah. And let go of the rest. The problem comes when we keep things out of guilt. Yeah. Um, because we know that mom loved this. Yeah. So she feels, and me, and I think it's healthy to have an argument, have a one-sided argument with your mom. Yeah. I'm not keeping this. Yeah. I don't have room for it. I have my own. Yeah. I do have um, some guilt things, by the way. I do okay. have some guilt. They're just not those crystal glasses. And to know that is not just that guilt will flow down through the generations because our kids are not going to keep all the stuff that's important to us either. And that is okay. That is the circle of life right now. I want to say that the other thing that makes it hard is the family, the family dynamics there. Uh, My recommendation is if possible to only have the the siblings involved, not the in-laws. The in-laws have their own parents to deal with. Right. And I think that sibling, just having the siblings makes it a lot easier. And then if you can come up with a system, you're going to draw straws or you're going to eat, everyone draws a card or you go youngest to oldest to youngest at round Robin, everyone gets to pick out one thing. Or you have people walk around the house with different colored sticky notes, put a sticky note on the items. And then if there's more than one sticky note on an item, then you draw straws because you might 
this is going to be ugly. When in actuality, there's only five things that are in contention, right? Mm -hmm. And having a process of doing that. And I think for a lot of families, the hardest part is knowing when to get started, because if there's multiple siblings involved, one one sibling might be ready to go, let's get this done with, and the other sibling may not be ready yet. And so that is hard. And my advice is always to put people over stuff, always the relationship over the stuff. And so even if someone's got to take the high road, it might as well be you. And we worked with a client once where there was an argument over some kind of baseball. It was a fan. It was some kind of, I don't know if it was Willie Mays baseball. I don't know. But the two sisters, it blew up, right? And it really fractured the relationship. And it's never about the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It just is, it brings up all these things from the past. But even if you really wanted this baseball and ultimately you let the other person have it, then I guess in your own head, you can just walk around knowing that you took the high road for the rest of your life because the stuff is never worth the relationship. And to think back on the person that you lost and what would they want me to do? Is that what you would have built on that property? But what I'm thinking about is, I think I had the hardest time. I mean, I definitely had the hardest time after my mom died. I ended up inpatient. I had really serious PTSD. And what I heard, it was one of my in-laws. We we call them outlaws. There's an inside the family and the outside the family. And out doesn't necessarily, that's not worse. Like you could, if you could be outside of the system, you might want to stay out. (laughs) But, but what she said was somebody wanted something done. And what, and I heard, what I heard her say was, we really have to come at this from the perspective of the person who's having the hardest time. Oh, right. Wow. And I was like, oh my Great God, that's, that's a, what's like you feed the hungriest. And yeah. it, it was such a moment of grace. Yeah. Other people want this to go a different way, but you, but the thing that is the most important is that we don't push someone past what they can do. And oh, particularly wow. my mom had lots of jewelry and I just couldn't bear it. I could oh. not bear partly she had some of that jewelry on when she died and I didn't want to see it again Uh but also my mother absolutely millions of times had talked about how she was going to decide which bracelet went to which person and which and the idea that she didn't get to do that which she wouldn't have given us what we wanted she would have given us what she wanted us to have Right. And that actually only happened this past yep. fall. My sister said, Hey, what do you think would mm-hmm. this be? Because we had had a test case with it. My brother was moving and he was like, look, let's do something with mom's jewelry or I'll just sell it. And then I didn't sleep for two days. And I was like, oh, I can't do anything with, with mom's jewelry. And also you can't sell it. And he was yeah. like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was still so oh, okay. hot for you. Right. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know it was still so hot for me, but it does go to that component. And then my brother was really worried we were going to fight over it. And I was like, that's not what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no, we we're coming at it from that sister-in-law's attitude of whoever cares more about this. It, yeah. It's not going to, it's going to be, it, it's going to be tenable. But I do think that was the ethos inside my family with my siblings was like, this stuff can't possibly matter more. Mom and dad said that a thousand times. And oh. also- None of it's really valuable. So it doesn't actually matter that much. 
And I feel so much grace from that experience. But what I was going to say is I have seen the other side. I have seen, I have sat with people who are like, if my sister thinks she's getting the car, like I'm getting my mom's couch. I always wanted that couch or grandma's diamond ring. If my cousin thinks she's getting that. And every time that feels to me like unfinished business between the person and the grandma. Like I'm going to get grandma's ring and then everyone's going to know that grandma loved me best, even though grandma's not here. And that's not maybe what would have gone down if, and I'm just wondering if that measures up with white, because I don't, I I don't think that's so much about the person and the memories and the stuff and the love. I think it's an unfinished relationship sunk that like, maybe that's the love, right? Like I want them to love me through. Yep through these things. And and that's what is so hard about death is that when the when your loved one dies, your relationship with them is whatever it was. Yeah. And good or bad and you can't change it with them. You can do a lot of work therapy on your own self, mm-hmm. but absolutely that is that is heartbreaking in a way and it it has given me such valuable perspective on how I want to run my life. how we want to discuss things with our parents, with my dad, with the things that to have these conversations early and often so that people aren't surprised after a death comes. And in my business, working with clients where we're working with them for a week or two, unfortunately, boy, I'd love to wave a magic wand and change everyone, but we can't. And so we have to work with what, whatever family system they have come up with (laughs) for good or bad, but it has been such an education for me and such a wonderful perspective on life to see this happen week after week. And boy, how do I want my family to deal with this on my own? Because yeah, I mean, it, it is hard. And I am totally going to steal that from your sister-in-law that we were going to deal with it. How, what, what was it? However, the person who's having the hardest time. Yeah. Yeah. The person we come at it as their needs are the greatest. I love it. So like, yeah, I get it that you would like this done, but she can't do it. And the, the jewelry, for instance, I can understand your brother wanting to, but jewelry is easy because it doesn't take up that much room. Yeah, right? that's so what are there's one yeah. box of jewelry, two boxes of jewelry, great. But if we think that about all of the furniture in the house, there's some practicalness of you do have to deal with some of that bigger stuff sooner. And then, yeah, some of that harder stuff, even the clothes. When we move clients who have lost a spouse into a new retirement community, I always ask them like, hey, maybe you want to take a couple shirts of your spouses with you. And if there's room. Right. You can always get rid of it later. Yes. Yeah. And in terms of the jewelry with my brother, again, I think he was the executor. He dealt with my dad's death and my mom's death. I actually had a lot of compassion and understanding oh, that like yeah. he just wanted it to be done. He yep. wanted no more of this job. Yep. I really wanted to be able to give him no more of that job. Yep. Yep. But opening that box mm-hmm. was not possible for me until it was possible for me. And my sister very gently one time was like, hey, do you think you could do it now? And I was like, wow, I actually do think I could do it. Yeah. And it, it was funny and hysterical and sad and all those things. But I will say the jewelry that I was afraid of that I had seen on my mom when she died, my little sister just picked it up and put it on and it changed the whole, oh. it, it just changed it. Like yeah. the, the images I had of those being my mom's jewelry yeah. completely to her hand and her wrist and her thing. And I was like, oh my God, all the ghosts are gone. This is just jewelry. 
She's yeah. it's been my mom's and now we did all think the jewelry was a little haunted for a while because every one of us had some nightmares and like oh. weird things happen. And if my mom could haunt you, she would have. So particularly around the jewelry, but it was a, a huge learning curve. And I think a grounding in the thing that I thought was true, which is if you don't push yourself past your tolerance yeah. place, it can be okay. Like it can yeah. be, but I know, and you said it in the beginning, there are a lot of people that kind of grace is not possible for them. Right. I, my parents' house sat on a hill with all the stuff in it for a year uh-huh. and there were no financial consequences and it was okay. There were financial consequences, but yeah. not ones that devastated us. There are so many people where they can't pay the property tax on that, or they, they have to get this stuff out because the person rented the apartment. So then there is this, what can you do that's possible and how can you do it with as much support? As possible, and right? so that is, that's all about identifying the best, keep the best, let go of the rest. And so take what you can to your home and really look at your current home and ask yourself, what do I have room for? Yeah. Because 30 boxes of your mom's stuff in a basement or God forbid a storage unit, don't go there. But did that with my not, dad. We did that with my dad. Oh my God. I can't even good. tell you. Because you talk about things changing, the ghosts being gone, visiting your dad's stuff in a storage unit. Boy, that's oh, not paying money to put and your dad's money. Crappy that's not comforting. Now it's a burden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was just insane. And I do think that I, I'm glad you said that about the jewelry because I think our attachment to stuff does change and lessen over time. And so immediately it is gut wrenching to go through your loved one's things. My mom's been gone now. She died in t- 2005. So many years, it's not gut-wrenching anymore. In the same way that our keepsakes that we keep for ourselves, when we go to the prom, we maybe save the corsage, we save the program, we save the napkin. Right now, Megan, you and I, we're not attached to those keepsakes from prom. And so over the years... We we are we're more likely to let it go, and it doesn't hurt as much. In a way that I am not still grieving my grandparents who died in 1992 and 1994 when I was a child. I loved them. I miss them, of course, but I'm not grieving them daily. And thank goodness, thank goodness. And I know certainly in the beginning when I lost my mom, you feel guilty. You want to feel there's a part of you that wants to feel that pain forever, and you feel guilty for moving on. But that's one of the universe's greatest mercies is that you don't feel. That's right. That you acclimate to the loss Mm -hmm. over time and that your brain learns it and your body comes to understand it. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are, I wear, I have them on now, both my mother's wedding band and my father's wedding band. And I play with them all the time and I find myself playing with them all the time. And they are so sentimentally beautiful to me, but I don't, I don't have the same kind of pain that I did when I put them on for the first time. I put my dad's on and was like, one day I'm also going to have my mom's. I didn't know that it would, that it would be as soon as it was, but now it's a necklace that I love and cherish. And when people ask me, I'm like, yeah, those are my parents' wedding rings. They died. But early on, it's really hard to do. I'm curious about if you were going to give people who were listening some advice, Mm -hmm. people who every one of us is going to leave our stuff behind. Mm -hmm. So so maybe something for us, should we be tearing out pieces of paper and thinking about these things right now? Mm -hmm. And then maybe also those of us that are going to be in it with other people and our teams and our, we're going to 
maybe particularly with parents, because I think maybe that's the least out of order death to be thinking about that my, my parents things are going to somehow mm-hmm. become my responsibility. Are there things that even when someone isn't actively dying that we should be thinking about or could be thinking about or doing in a, mm-hmm. um, in a proactive way? I think the holidays are a great time to think about this because none of us need any more stuff. And if you are lucky enough to have your parents, the grandparents still around, boy, that is, they should not be going and going to Target and buying you a Christmas present. They should be looking around their house and what you could say to mom and dad, boy, mom and dad, what kind of things would you like to give to your grandkids this Christmas that are in your house? Let's give it to them now because you will be there to tell them, oh, this vase came over on the boat from Norway with my great grandmother. You will be able to tell that story to them. And then that vase will mean something, not because they knew your great grandmother, but because they know you and they remember you telling them about it. And I think the holidays is a wonderful time to do that and to make it a a lovely thing instead of a sad thing. Oh, grandma just died. And now we're deciding who gets her stuff. Let's do it now. And let's, and like you said, not someone who's actively passing away. But hey, boy, we would love to hear these stories now and get them documented and take a video of her giving it to him and take a picture of the grandma with the grandson giving him. These are all active things that you can be doing because when you have passed on and identified the best things, then it's not such a devastating thought that maybe they're not going to keep my Hallmark Christmas ornament collection because they kept the Irish crystal. Like they can't keep it all. And so let's identify, boy, if they're only going to keep five things, these are the five things I really want them to have. What about the people who are receiving the things is, do you recommend that they also, I'm thinking about my son. I asked my kids, I was like, is there anything in the house that you want? And he was like, I want Papa's waffle maker. And I was like, <laughs> like my dad had made waffles like one time yeah. and he was like, I want his waffle maker. That's how, what I, I don't know if he practically wanted a waffle maker yeah. or if it was some sentimental connection to my dad. Yeah. But do you recommend that people also, because I don't know, I'm just thinking about like the ways that I love people. I probably don't care if I get their crystal from Ireland, but I, I might want the coffee cup yes. that they drink their coffee out of every day. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I always say that if an object is going to mean something, it has to be tied to an experience or a memory. And that crystal that came over from Ireland, maybe you only used it on special formal occasions, but yes. boy, that coffee cup you saw her drinking out of that every day. And so your and your son, he, even if it was just once, grandpa making waffles, that's the experience that was meaningful to him. So yeah. that's why he wants that item. Yeah. And we get to choose. So the, the whole point of keepsakes is to remind us and to make us happy. Yeah. And so we get to choose that. It's not what made your mom happy. It's what makes you happy. And the reason those crystal goblets from Ireland meant something to her is maybe because she took a trip to Ireland. She got them. She remembers bringing them over on the plane, but you weren't on that trip and that's okay. You might, she might be shaking her head, Megan, at you and thinking, yes. oh my gosh, She's I can't believe you kept serious. that. She yeah. can't believe, can't but, believe. We all get to choose those things. Yeah. There's a woman um, in a professional group that I know whose name is Charlene Lamb, who has a platform called Curating Grief. And you may be familiar with it, but if not, you should definitely check it out. She creates art out of the things that can't be left behind. So she has a watercolor painting of your mother's gloves 
or yeah, or a small purse that's mounted in a picture frame. She, and so she really is looking at the like, how do we transform the memory and the, how do we convey that kind of out into the public? And so often she'll put on art, there'll be a, a gallery show of people's items, which I just think is so beautiful. And I wish I had known her before my, because I maybe would have taken photos of my mother's particular favorite, I don't know, teeny tiny clothes or I didn't know a lot about how you could take things and turn them into teddy bears and into mm-hmm. necklaces. I just, I, I had never been introduced to that, even though I was in the field of grief and loss, mm-hmm. those ways of transforming things hadn't really made its way into my life. Do you have, when you're talking to people, do you, is there a keep three things, keep two mm-hmm. things, keep one thing, keep five things, don't keep more than 10 things. Do you have a advice yes. about that? A couple things. I always say, try only to keep things you're go- you can display or use. Because yeah. again, the point of keepsakes is to make us happy and remind us. And it's hard to love it if it's in a box. Yeah. And it's really hard to love it if it's in a storage unit across town. Yeah. If you're going to keep yeah. things, then make sure there are things you can use, like the waffle maker, yeah. okay, or things you can display. Great. Put it in a shadow box, hang it on a wall. Yeah. And because of that, if it's important to you, then keep it like it's important to you and don't put it into in a box in the basement and keeping things that you can use and display. And then I do say to set limits. And so if you are coming from a full house, if you're, if your house is full, then I want you to ask yourself really how many boxes can I take? Okay. Let's say it's two boxes. Let's say it's 10 boxes. I think more than 10 boxes, in my opinion, is probably a little much. Mm-hmm. And so what identify what you have. And then when it comes to bigger things like furniture, oh, I really want that antique pump organ that was at mom's house. Great. What piece of furniture are in your home it's are you going to get rid of? Because we're not going to, I would suggest, not bringing it over and putting it in your garage, right? If you want it, then great. Let's sacrifice something else, your Ikea bookshelves, get rid of those. And then we'll bring over this antique pump organ that means so much to you. Mm -hmm. And so it is about setting limits. We set limits for ourselves in all kinds of areas, right? We set a budget for ourselves. We don't let ourselves most of the time eat the whole box of cookies. We make ourselves, let's stop at two or three. And so let's set limits on our stuff as well and our keepsakes. Yeah. And because I always say that what is rare is precious. And so in a lot of ways, one or two boxes of things from your loved one is way more meaningful than 30 boxes. That's so good. What it's making me think about, like when I was cleaning out my my mom's room under the bed, I found these huge like boot boxes that were filled with letters, all the letters that her kids had sent her from when they lived abroad and letters from my dad early on in the marriage. And I asked everybody, do you want them? And everybody was like, I don't want them. And I couldn't bring myself to throw them away. I'm glad. They're the correspondence of a whole life. And, Uh but they were, it was a lot. There was a big box and I brought them. And the other day I was like looking for something in a closet and I was like, what the hell's in this box? And I was like, oh my God, these are all the letters. These are all the letters. Yeah. And I, again, checked in with myself. Are these mine to keep? Is this, these aren't my stories. Are these mine to keep? And I haven't finished thinking about it. I have permission from everybody else to throw them away. I did peek at a couple of them and they're really sweet, but they're not my story, right? I've already read the letters that are mine that I sent my mother from England. 
And I really am sitting with that, but it's, but it, what it's making me think about is I do think sometimes you take the things as part of the process, right? I wasn't taking the letters because I was like, I want these. I was right. like, I can't sit with these right now. I'm going to bring them into my home. And it is interesting because I think before we started this conversation, I would have said, oh no, I'm at peace and I've done all the work, but this box of letters. I'm not displaying it. I'm not using it. They're, it's not my story. It's not really, they're not really mine. They're not my, mm-hmm. I didn't choose to keep them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to sit with that. You really provoked some thinking for me of what is this and what is the right move here? And maybe if I can give some suggestions, I love this because letters too are so personal. It's her handwriting, yeah. right? And, and I also think it's interesting to think about secrets yeah. And because it's almost like reading someone's diary. Right? It is. And I love yeah. that you had that thought, are these mine to keep? Because I certainly, and we run across this with clients all the time. Hey, I don't want my husband to see this box or who knows, right? Yes. Or I don't, I don't want my kids to see this. And I, it's my personal opinion that everyone's entitled to, to their secrets. But what you might do is divide them up and send the brother's letters to your brothers and keep mm-hmm. yours. And then if you have even like letters that your mom wrote to one of her friends, if that friend is still alive, mm. or if that friend's daughter is still alive to send those, that might be such a blessing for them. Mm. You maybe don't even need to tell them it's coming to, for them to walk to their mailbox and see this little package mm. of letters from 50 years ago. What a delight, because then it is their story, right? Hey, these mm. are letters that you corresponded with my mom 30 years ago. How fun to walk down that memory lane with them. It, and, and to know that there are other people who are mourning your mom not just you and your siblings. And so maybe her friend would love that. That is, it's making me think about when people say what's meaningful to a griever. I always say photos and stories. It doesn't matter if the story is something really simple. Like you walked in on the dad in the kitchen and he was singing along to Billy Joel. Like you can just tell your friend that story because it will, you have just now in 20 seconds transformed the idea of, oh, these are a burden to, oh, these could be a gift to someone else. Maybe they're being kept because they are a gift and not a burden that, that someone else might want the memories that are more relevant to them and not really connected to me at all. That is the gift of it. Hey, remember this person who was in your life, who isn't here anymore, who cared so much about you here is a remnant of that. That may be meaningful to you. Right? Like it's corsage, right? I come by this honestly. Oh, so good. When I was, after my mom died, I was going through all of the stuff in her house. And since she was an only child, she had all of her mother's, my grandmother's correspondence. Mm. And so in this box, I found this letter that my grandmother's sister-in-law had written to her when she was in the hospital having my mother. So the year was 1948. She'd just given birth and her sister-in-law wrote her letter. I'd never met this sister-in-law. I knew who she was. I'd heard her name, but she died years before I was born. And I thought, oh my God, I don't know this lady like this, but it's cool. It's a letter that was written in 1948. And I, but I do know this lady's daughter. This lady's daughter is my godmother. And I thought on a whim, I thought, I'm just going to send this to Debbie, my godmother. And I just said, Hey, this letter was written by your mom to my grandmother. And we still have it. And I just thought you'd like to keep it. And she wrote back to me. She was so touched. Her mother died when she was young and her dad remarried and the stepmother threw out all of her mother's things. And she said, Janine, this is the first time I've seen my mother's handwriting. 
And I thought, oh my, I almost threw that away. And on a, I just sent it off in a manila envelope and what a gift. And maybe she kept it forever. Maybe she had a moment and then she tossed it. There's still some magic in those letters. And so spread it out. I know we have to wrap up, but because I could talk about this all day with you. It's so powerful. And I'm just personally really enjoying this conversation. But you are also talking about something that I think is even broader in scope, which is that when you're going through the things, that there is a wide spectrum of people that could benefit from the gifts that are there, right? Not just in donation, but in loving the things that your person meant for them to love, that the letter gave your godmother a gift that she never saw coming because she didn't even know to think about it what it's making me think of my mom loved she went through a phase where she was like completely obsessed with dollhouse stuff and one of the chapters that we cut from the memoir I the house she had lived in this house for 35 years 32 years and it had these like a bench that like a window bench uh-huh. Yep. Open it up and there was storage underneath. And yep. so we're down to the wire. We cleared out most things and I pop the cushion off and I'm like, oh, and I open it up and inside are all these boxes of unassembled tiny like couches and chairs. She must have thought she was going to make another dollhouse, which she did do when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, what in the, they're not even assembled. What in the world am I going to do? Am I going to do with this? And my brother was like, just throw it away. We did dumpster. And I was like, I cannot throw this away. First of all, they have price tags on them. Secondly, this comes from a phase of my life that I really distinctly remember coming home. And my mom is like gluing and painting. And I have no idea why she loved miniature things, but she really did. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I pull it all out. I can't even tell you. It was like a minivan's worth of stuff. There was, I I don't know what she was doing with it. She couldn't, she didn't remember it was there. Uh I'm sure for 20 years. And so I I put on our community listserv, I have all this dollhouse furniture and people with two-year-olds responded. And I was like, no, it's not that kind of dollhouse furniture. I don't mean that. Uh And eventually I found a Facebook page that was about miniatures, people who made miniature things. Uh And I posted on there, does anyone want a whole bunch of like miniature things? And long, long story short, I ended up driving, like I was doing a drug deal again, it was during COVID. So you couldn't even really see driving my minivan over like two, just two towns over to this woman whose story was that during COVID lots of terrible things had happened. She didn't have enough income and her shop was amazing. She wasn't going to turn these things into what they were intended to be. She was going to turn them into much more magnificent, amazing. Like it was going to look like a Chanel handbag, not a little old lady's handbag. And I just, she just, she burst into tears when I got there because she didn't understand how much I was giving her uh, two giant Tupperware containers full of stuff that all had the $7.99, $12.99 from 20 years ago. And I burst into tears because I was like, this is the kind of story my mother loved. These total oh. weird kismet stories yes. where something really good came of nothing yes. was the like gold of what she wanted. So I really want to remind people that even though it's a tremendous burden, mm-hmm. there is also so much something else, mm-hmm. goodness and love and grief processing and movement and energy 
that this is. And so we're circling back where we started, which you said, this is a passion for you. And I get why, because it's really hard, but I think it's really holy. I think so too. Absolutely. I agree completely. The stuff is like the physical manifestation of their spirit that was here and is no longer here. And someday we'll understand it all. But right now, we just got to deal with the stuff. And I think that there is absolutely a way to bless other people, mm-hmm. donating, giving for free, even selling. I think shopping yeah. at the state sale, I think it's cool. You know, Her mother loved these- the state sales. She'd be yeah. like, they didn't know what they had. I got it for $24.99. I'm like, go. they did come on. Yeah. They just wanted to get rid of it because their parents died and they didn't want that tea set anymore. Yes, yes. I always say when our clients have like clothing from the 70s hanging in their cedar closet, I just say some 23-year-old girl is going to come through and she's going to look she's so dead. cute in this. She's, she's going to yeah. be so happy. Yeah. If people want to be in touch with you, because again, you have so many resources on your sites. What's the best way? We'll put it in the show notes as well. But how do they get in touch um, if they want to know more about what they could be doing or if they need help when the time comes. Yeah. Easyrightsizing.com is the best place if you don't happen to live in Lincoln, Nebraska, (laughs) Um, but easyrightsizing.com. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. Like I said, there are a whole bunch of resources there, free resources. There's links to the books that I have. I have an online course as well, but it's a good place to start. And just to know a lot of what I talk about is I think comforting because people just want to know that they're not alone. I think there really is something very isolating about grief and you feel like, oh, no one really understands. And we're all so different, but we're all very much the same. And I think we all go through a lot of the same emotions when we lose a loved one. I am so appreciative of this conversation. It meant so much to me today to get to talk about these things, even just the little memories of the experience of it. I'm really grateful that you are in this space and helping people and that we can remind people that there is help to be had because I think the artifacts and the things that are left behind can feel, they can be a different level of overwhelming. And just the way that you talked about it today felt really like hopeful and beautiful instead of a heavy task and a burden, which I think it also is. I think it also can be. Uh, Thank you so much for this hour and your time and all of it. I'm just, this was really lovely. Just keep doing this great work. And thank you so much for giving me your time today. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. All right. Take good care. Bye-bye.